Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we continue to march through this important book, and today we're in chapter 3, verse 8, and the passage that we are going to dwell on today is just five English words. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, and I'm at the very end of that verse. Hear now God's word. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That's our passage. That's where we're going to dwell. I want to say a few things and then we'll pray and then we'll dig into this passage. In fact, I'd like to begin a sermon on the unsearchable riches of Christ with talking about myself. Is that okay? Can we get to Christ via me? Um, I, I want us to hear something about a, a glaring weakness in my preaching. If you're new to CPC and you're going to start attending, you need to know right off the bat that there are a number of weaknesses about my preaching. But here's one when you get to a passage like this that should really stand out to you as a hearer. I think God has made me a strong preacher when it comes to his mission. When it comes to the mission of God, I will talk about being disciple, making disciples of a church planting church anytime, anywhere, from any passage. God has put that fire in my soul and I pray that if you attend here, you will feel that heat in your own life. I think God has made me a decent preacher when it comes to moral commands, So where we open our Bibles and the Bible says do this or don't do this, I think telling people what to do comes naturally to me. And I do it out of the pulpit in my home. And so it comes quite naturally for God to lead me to do that in the pulpit. But here is where I am weak. I'm embarrassed to even say this because I would trade this for my strength any day of the week. Coming to a verse like ours today and sitting at the feet of Jesus to just bask in his glory. There's no commission, there's no mission. There's no marching orders. There's no moral command here. There's not something for us to get up and do per se. We sit at the feet of Jesus and we're overwhelmed by the person of Jesus. When it comes down to that great comparison between Mary and Martha, the one who sat before Jesus and the one who was busy doing good things, I'm a Martha through and through. I feel way more at home in the kitchen of the Great Commission than in the living room of the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's where I feel really out of place and really weak with a passage like this today. Well, I'm not alone in that. The great 19th century preacher and missionary, his name was A.T. Pearson, and he was going to attempt a sermon on Ephesians 3.8. I haven't even read his sermon. I want to read it after this. But he was going to attempt to preach from this very verse. And by the way, over the course of his life, 30 years of ministry, he wrote 50 books. He preached 30,000 sermons And this is what he, I said 30, I meant 13. That's a big difference. 13,000 sermons, still a big deal. And he said this about Ephesians 3a. 
He said, I sink back exhausted in the vain attempt to set before this congregation the greatest mystery of grace that I ever grappled with. I cannot remember in 30 years of gospel preaching ever to have been confronted with a theme that more baffled every outreach of thought and every possibility of utterance than the theme that I have now attempted in the same name of God to present. Wow. If it is hard to preach on the unsearchable riches of Christ, I am sure it is all the harder to hear and to receive and to believe and to enjoy the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so if there was any Sunday that it was appropriate to pray before a sermon, it is today before we venture into this dense, dense passage. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are in your presence. We celebrate your first coming in Advent. We anticipate your second coming. Right right now I'm just babbling in my prayer because I hardly know what to do. You are present. You are glorious. We're going to spend our whole lives digging into the unfathomable riches of Christ Jesus, and we won't get very far. Will you in these moments, these next few minutes together, and especially as we come to your table, just let us taste and see that the Lord Jesus is good. Let us taste something, just a a glimmer of your glory. Would you do that? Would you reveal that to us today? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you guys were here last week, you saw in verses 1 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 3 that God has laid out his plan for the world. He is going to redeem the world. He has created it so that he might send his son and draw the people to himself. And not only does he give us a plan for the world, but then Paul traces out what our plan is in the midst of God's plan. God's going to do this. He's going to fulfill his great commission among the nations. But then he calls you and I as believers, as part of the great commission, to be messengers of this great message. You and I go out from here and we share the good news. Only Paul, when it comes down to saying what it is we actually share, he does not use the phrase good news like I just did. That's a perfectly appropriate phrase. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say we're going to go out from here and preach the Bible. He doesn't say we're going to talk about John 3.16. He doesn't even say we're going to present the gospel through a one-verse method or preach good theology. When Paul is sitting in a dank prison cell in Rome, which will be his last stop before his execution, and he's thinking about what message God has called him and us to share with the world, This is the phrase that he gives the message. This is what we talk about. This is what we share. 
This is what we attempt at the water cooler of our office spaces. This is what we reveal to our kids when we tuck them in at night. This is what we share with our teenagers after they've been on their first date. This is what roommates talk one to another about. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow. That's our message. That's what we proclaim. Life is too short. The stakes are too high. Dealing in religion is not going to help anybody. We share the unsearchable, the unsearchable riches of Christ. But I hope we immediately realize that to share the unsearchable riches of Christ... We must first know the unsearchable riches of Christ. We must first experience the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christian, do you know these riches? Have you tasted these riches? Have you walked with Jesus And heard and experienced from him in his presence these riches. Advent is the perfect invitation for us beginning this week to slow down, to pause, to to focus our attention on the person and the work of Jesus early in the morning or before we go to bed and center ourselves On the riches of Jesus. Now when Paul says unsearchable. He doesn't mean that we can't find them of course. He means that we can't possibly fathom what Christ has in store. And when Paul says riches. He's referring to both the person of Jesus Christ. Who he is. And also the work of Jesus Christ. What he has done. So when Paul says this phrase. He means the unfathomable the, that which cannot finish be exploring the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's riches, like Christ's love, are so deep, so wide, so long, so tall, we cannot grasp him, we cannot master him, we cannot figure him out, we cannot put him in a box, and we will not in this life or the life to come, graduate from the school of Christ. That little baby in a manger will occupy our imagination forever. Just in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 alone. I mean, forget the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation and all it has to say about Jesus. Just in these two chapters alone, which we've already read show enough of Jesus' splendor, enough of his glory, to keep us studying and feeding and meditating and worshiping Jesus forever. I I was going to walk us through just the first two chapters of Ephesians to just show us some of the highlights that are there. And I came up with three pages of sermon notes, and I wasn't even close to finishing, and so I had to scrap the entire thing. It's way too long. And each one of these things deserves meditation. 
So Christian, if you are wondering what to do with your Advent season, there are wonderful devotionals to be had that you can download or you can purchase or you can use for the Advent season. But here's another one to consider. What if you just dedicated yourself to the first two chapters, you could do three, of the book of Ephesians, and everywhere you saw something about the person of Jesus and something about the work of Jesus, you wrote it down for further study. Just those two chapters alone. You wrote down everything about the person and the work of Jesus. You worked your way through the book. If you're going to do that this Advent, I'm going to give you a head start. I scrapped the entire list and I just picked two things to give us a head start. Something about who Jesus is and something about what he's done that centers us on the unsearchable riches that is Jesus Christ. Number one. One of these riches about the person of Jesus is Jesus is uncreated. Jesus is uncreated. We get that from chapter 1, verse 4, which says, God shows us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. So you get the timeline here and how it's happening. Before the world began, before anything that we see or know or touch or taste or dream about was created, one God in three persons stood with all power and authority over what was about to take place. This is how John's gospel introduces the Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word, and by Word he means Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is uncreated. You know, this week in our house, as we decorate for Christmas, we're pulling out of the attic a bunch of nativity scenes. We've got some pretty epic nativity scenes. We've got a Playmobil nativity scene. We've got some wooden nativity scenes. And hands down, when we first break out those boxes, nativity scenes, they become the number one toy in our household. Above everything else, there's just something about the nativity scene. That's number one like heirloom, fragile ornaments. That's number two. But those break so easily that we're back to number one and all the kids are fighting over the shepherds and the manger scene and they just love it. Well, unfortunately, surely you've noticed this in your house, um, baby Jesus is the smallest thing in the nativity scene. I mean, he's so tiny and he's so precious, but he's so easy to lose And so if you have like this war between the shepherds and the wise men and they're crashing together or you're playing house, somehow baby Jesus gets lost from every nativity scene we have in our house. So if you were to visit today and walk through our house, you would see a bunch of godless nativity scenes, literally godless because baby Jesus is no longer there. Do not let a baby born to Mary, lying in a manger, fool you. He fooled the Pharisees. He fooled King Herod. He fooled the powers and the principalities. Do not let this baby fool you. Jesus is the uncreated, eternal God, the same God who stood within himself, one God in three persons before the world began and then takes on flesh to dwell among us. Revelation is right. He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
He is before all things and no one will have the final word after him. Jesus is uncreated. That thought alone about the person of Jesus could occupy us for all of Advent. You will not get to the bottom of that piece of Christology that Jesus is uncreated. But there's more. Let me give us a second one about what Jesus does from the book of Ephesians. Jesus is uncreated. Jesus is gracious and he's kind. If there was ever an understatement, it would be this. Paul, he struggles with human language to to capture the grace and the kindness of Jesus. He writes to us in chapter 1, verse 7, We have now in the gospel the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the blank of his grace. According to the what of his grace? The adequacy of of his grace or is it the suitability of his grace he gives us just enough grace that we can find forgiveness from our trespasses no paul says in chapter 1 verse 7 the riches of his grace the overflowing riches of his grace chapter 2 verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus God is rich in grace and mercy and kindness to us I love the story the advent story of the priest named Zechariah We know from Luke chapter 1 that Zechariah, he's going to be John the Baptist's dad. And when he's performing his duties in the temple, an angel visits him and tells him, you're going to have a son who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to introduce God's plan of salvation for the world. And naturally, Zechariah, even though he's in full-time ministry, doubts what the angel could possibly be saying. And because of his doubt, the angel says, you are going to be mute Until John the Baptist is born. You will not be able to speak. So imagine a man in full time ministry. Who will spend nine months listening and not talking. That's a great job description for a man in ministry. Nine months of listening and not speaking. When Zechariah has his son John the Baptist. And the angel loosens his tongue for the first time in almost a year, you kind of sit up and listen to what a priest has earned in this prophecy when he begins to speak. He says, when I see and think about the Messiah, I can't help but think about the tender mercy of God. Until I saw God in human flesh, Until I understood God's plan of salvation, I never grasped the tender mercy of God in all my years of ministry that I do now today in the presence of God's plan of salvation. Jesus is gracious and kind. Jesus just by his presence, just by his arrival, just by his miraculous birth, shows us the tender mercy of God. Jesus is uncreated. Jesus is gracious and kind. 
These are only two of the riches of Jesus. And there are many more in the book of Ephesians alone. Christian, may God give you this Advent season. May he give you just a taste of his glory from the book of Ephesians. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we taste, we see that you are good, you are gracious, you are kind, you are uncreated. We fall on our faces in your presence to worship and celebrate and be in awe of you. May this Advent season be one of awe. May it be one of marvel as we look to the person and the work of Jesus and his unsearchable riches. Give this to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.